Hey, Dion, we are officially in March, which means my favorite holiday, St. Patrick's Day, is around the corner. Now, normally I'm not into kitsch, but for St. Patty's Day, I make an exception because the holiday is all about embracing good luck. Also, I happen to be born on St. Patrick's Day. So I've always loved the whole celebratory vibe on my birthday. I mean, what's not to like, right? Like, right, right. <laughs> there's lucky charm leprechauns, rainbows with pots of gold, lucky four-leaf clovers and shamrocks. I don't even mind the questionable t-shirts that say, kiss me, I'm Irish. Well, happy birthday, Maliha. I think another reason why people love St. Patty's Day is because everyone gets a free pass to get lit at 9 a.m., if we're really being honest. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I grew up near Philadelphia and we both lived in Boston. So I yeah. vividly remember the parades and the epic pub crawls that start at like 8 a.m. <laughs> Generally speaking, I feel though very lucky in life. And I think it has something to do with being born on St. Patrick's Day. You know, the luck of the Irish. But let me ask you, Dion, do you believe in luck? Not really luck, but more so divine providence. But what is luck really? What is it? Well, since you asked, I looked it up and it's defined as success or failure brought by chance rather than through one's actions. So you're calling it divine providence, not really chance per se. Exactly. Okay. So whether you want to call it chance or divine providence, luck played a big role in many of my favorite things, like chocolate chip cookies, potato chips, and waffle cones. <laughs> Notice how all my favorite things are food items. Well, I mean, that's why we're friends, obviously, because you know I'm a foodie too. So makes complete sense. <laughs> <laughs> it is always fun when we go out together and eat. Exactly. Just order the whole left side and right exactly. side of the menu. <laughs> I love it. Right. But because this is the IV drip for my birthday, I thought it would be fun to share the stories of how luck played a huge part in some major medical discoveries that we use every day. So in honor of the four-leaf clover, I chose four lucky examples that I want to share with you. Okay, let's get into it. This is The IV Drip, a podcast designed to give you the dish on health topics you need to know but didn't know to ask. We are your hosts, Dr. Maliha Mohideen and Dr. Diani Becky. We're both Harvard-trained anesthesiologists and besties. Join us as we explore hot topics that are rarely discussed but can have a huge impact on your life. Now, this first one is major. As in, it revolutionized medicine. You ready? Hit me. The discovery of penicillin, the OG of antibiotics. Mm. Oh, yeah. So let's go back to 1928, England. There was a scientist, Dr. Alexander Fleming, who was studying Staphylococcus bacterium. Oh, those nasty bugs that Dr. Amina Khan talked about that's been increasing infections in kids lately. Shameless plug. Listen to that episode. It's so good. Also, everyone is familiar with MRSA, the antibiotic-resistant superbug. Exactly. 
So apparently he's studying the bacteria and goes on vacay, or I should say holiday, because this is England. And a month later, he comes back to his messy lab and notices that while he was gone, one of his staff cultures has been overgrown by a fungus. Now, thankfully, he didn't just chuck the Petri dish. He noticed that the mold secreted a substance that somehow prevented the bacteria from growing. He called the bacteria-killing substance mold juice. Super scientific. Hmm. (laughs) I know. At least it's not beetle juice. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad he settled on penicillin as a name. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, So obviously this is major. Penicillin can kill all kinds of gram-positive bacteria responsible for ailments like scarlet fever, meningitis, diphtheria, and bacterial pneumonia. Right. So this is huge. Totally. I mean, we use penicillin-related antibiotics all day, every day. Ampicillin, amoxicillin, methicillin, oxicillin, Mm. on and on. Okay. You're giving me microbiology, pharmacology, PTSD right now. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Total pharmacology. Anyway, (laughs) Fleming goes on to win the 1945 Nobel Prize in Medicine with other researchers from Oxford who helped mass produce penicillin. They really deserve that prize, honestly. Oh, absolutely. So what I love about this story is that, one, he was a messy scientist, and you don't hear about those often, and number two... He didn't just see a fungus and throw his experiments out. He saw opportunity in the unexpected, and it helped change the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great story. Okay. (laughs) Number two, Dion, I want to switch from medicines to devices. This is also major. The implantable pacemaker. Mm, Which we also talked about in another episode on sudden cardiac arrest. Wink, wink. Can you imagine a world without pacemakers? Remember how we discussed that sometimes the heart can go into a funky heartbeat, which we call an arrhythmia, and sometimes those can be lethal. The pacemaker allows people to go about and live healthy lives by monitoring and helping the heart beat normally. I think the world would be a lot smaller without it. Totally. I mean, natural selection (laughs) would definitely be at play here without this device. So in this story... It's 1956, and an American engineer, Wilson Greatbach, was actually trying to build a device that recorded heart rhythms, but he assembled the device wrong. He apparently installed the wrong resistor, and instead of recording fast rhythms, which was what he was studying, the device was giving off a heartbeat-like pulse and not using very much battery to do it. So again, totally on accident. But luckily, he didn't just toss the thing. He realized that if he could make the device small enough, this could be used as an implantable pacemaker. Because keep in mind that up until that point, hospitals had these really big, bulky external pacemakers that were just not practical for patients. So it took a little bit of refinement and convincing, obviously, the scientific community. He actually tested out on his dog. Successfully. Okay. I mean, I guess animal testing was necessary here to convince anyone to use it, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) He patented his invention in 1960. And like you said, millions of people are dependent on pacemakers today. Again, an accident he made when building a device, 
but he saw the opportunity in the mistake, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Yeah. Number three, the next discovery is actually related to pacemakers. I'm going to give you a hint here. What do most patients need to be on medication-wise if they have an irregular heartbeat? Blood thinners. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. How sad would that be if I got that wrong? (laughs) (laughs) That would be awful. I gave you – that was low-hanging fruit. Right, right, right. I I appreciate that. Absolutely. So number three is warfarin. Warfarin, also known as Coumadin, is a well-known blood thinner, or we call it an anticoagulant, that's used in patients to prevent blood clots from forming. Now, blood clots can be very dangerous because they can lead to things like a pulmonary embolism, which is a clot in your lung, a deep vein thrombosis, which would be a clot in your leg, or a stroke, which would be a clot that got into your brain. So very, very important that we try to prevent those in patients. Yeah, lots of badness there. So this story goes like this. In the 1930s, there's a cattle farmer in Wisconsin named Ed Carlson who drove over 200 miles looking for a vet to figure out why his cattle were spontaneously dying. He didn't find a vet, but instead found biochemist Carl Paul Link. He presented to Link his dead cow, a milk jug of blood, and a pile of moldy hay. So Link examines the cow's feed. Now the feed has sweet clovers in it, and what he saw was that the sweet clovers grew mold. Well, you guessed it, that mold was stopping or inhibiting the blood from clotting completely, which was causing the cows to bleed spontaneously. So Link diagnosed the cows with sweet clover's disease, and he was able to isolate a compound, which is what we now know as warfarin. Didn't they also use warfarin as rat poison? Yes, yes, they did. I read about that too. Warfarin was definitely used to kill rodents. They would leave those pellets out and then they would die. Clearly not very humane. <laughs> no. <laughs> At all. But it was used no. um, a few years before it was actually trialed in patients to prevent blood clots. Obviously, much smaller doses are used in human beings um, and carefully monitored with you know blood work on a regular basis. Absolutely. Absolutely. So much different dose, a lot of monitoring. It's a balance. (laughs) Okay. But that's an interesting story. That's so sweet sweet clover clover disease. disease. Yeah, sweet clover disease. And mold. Mold is playing a a big role here. I know. It's a little recurring theme, right? Right, right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Now, number four, we're down to the last discovery. Are you enjoying this, Dion? I'm loving this actually. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. So this last one will make you laugh. Hint, hint. We use it a lot. (laughs) Nitrous oxide, laughing gas. You're so corny. I know. But I love it. (laughs) I saved this one for the end because it's so close to our hearts as anesthesiologists. I should say our lungs. It's close to our lungs, which is also close to our heart. Okay. I'm done being corny. The story with nitrous oxide, or laughing gas as it's often called, is that it was discovered a long time ago in the late 1700s by an English clergyman and scientist, Joseph Priestley. 
Isn't it interesting how people from the past used to have multiple professions like scientists, linguists, inventor, artists? They must have had a lot of time back then because I can barely balance being an anesthesiologist and a mom. But I digress. I'm sorry. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something, Dion. These men were not picking up kids from daycare, okay? <laughs> okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> But back to Priestley, this man was also the first to isolate oxygen, carbon monoxide, and carbon dioxide, so all pretty much essential to life things. He was very into studying gases, which he called airs. So apparently, Priestley found that heating iron fillings soaked with nitric acid released this gas, which he called nitrous airs. Now, I don't think he knew what this gas could be used for, but he did document all his experiments and his findings. The interesting thing is that no one even tried to use it as an anesthetic until like over 50 years later. In the meantime, it was used recreationally by the upper class rich people who got together and inhaled nitrous for its feel-good effects. So basically a party drug. Yeah, a total party drug. They actually call them laughing gas parties. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't until the 1840s when a dentist in Hartford, Dr. Horace Wells, noticed that people taking nitrous oxide for fun would be partying and getting banged up, but weren't having any pain or even remembering that they got hurt. So I guess a light bulb goes off. He has this aha moment, and he begins experimenting with it as a sedative and painkiller in his dental practice. He has some success with it and decides to have a big demonstration in Boston at the one and only Mass General Hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah. Big time. This is big time. <laughs> I mean, going there still has me shook sometimes. So yeah, exactly. demonstrating this in front of all these medical students and doctors because, you know, he wants to show them what he discovered. Unfortunately, it didn't work. And the patient cried out during the procedure. So nobody believed Wells. Um, listen, can you imagine being that patient? I mean, okay, it sucks for Wells, but I mean, the patient, I can't even imagine. Yikes. <laughs> I know, right? It's awful. It's totally awful. I think it was like a tooth extraction. But in reality, Wells thinks the nitrous oxide was just dosed inadequately. Uh, Obviously. Because dose is everything, right? Yes. So he gets really discouraged and he felt disgraced from that experience. Sounds like he got ridiculed pretty badly. Very badly. He retreated from the scene and he was called a fraud. However, one of his partners, dentist Dr. William Morton, is inspired by Wells' findings, and he keeps experimenting with the help of a chemist from Harvard, Charles Jackson, using ether. Fast forward one year later in October 1846, and they have the first successful surgery under anesthesia in the famous ether dome at Mass General Hospital. Did you ever go to the ether dome, by the way, at Mass Gen in residency? I sure did. Hello, it's a field trip. Um, And I did the whole external ventilator experience. It felt pretty weird, but it was so cool. I loved it. Very cool. If you live in Boston or traveling there, 
Check out the museum at Mass General Hospital. I'm not sure if the Ether Dome is open to the public, actually, but the museum is definitely there. So anyhow, the news of the surgery under anesthesia travels around the world. I mean, up until that point, patients basically bit down on a strap for pain control. <laughs> so they came a long way. It was yeah. big news. Yes, huge. Big news. Now, there was some drama about who actually invented anesthesia, as you can imagine, but it's way too much drama to get into for this episode right now. <laughs> In present days, we know that all three men are responsible for our jobs and for revolutionizing the field of surgery. Yeah. The discovery of inhaled anesthetic gases was simply a game changer and allowed patients to have a pain-free and memory-free experience. So it's been amazing. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely a good one. I, I'm very thankful for them because now I'm employed. <laughs> I still have patients well, who remember taking ether. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's amazing how far we've come in such a short amount of time. Now to add to this list of lucky discoveries, I have one for you, Maliha. Viagra. Ooh, really? <laughs> Yes. Apparently, Pfizer was trying to make a drug for angina, or chest pain as we call it. It's common in people with heart disease. The men, though, had a little surprise, no (laughs) pun intended here, (laughs) when they started having uncontrolled erections. So Pfizer saw the opportunity and quickly bailed on the whole angina thing, okay? Forget chest pain. right? And they started marketing this new wonder drug. They even got soccer superstar and legend Pele to be their ambassador. The rest, as we know, is history. <laughs> okay? I, I mean, I, <laughs> I feel like at a certain point everyone was talking yeah. about it. But um, yeah. but on a serious note, this was truly revolutionary for men who battled with erectile dysfunction. It helped to give their confidence back. So it was definitely um, a happy accident. Oh my God, that's hilarious. I mean, I think the best part is that Pfizer just completely gave up on the whole heart attack, chest pain yeah, study. I mean, who cares about that? And I was like, mm, the side effect? That's where the money is. <laughs> and they're not wrong. Sex sells. Yes, exactly. Sex sells. So they knew what they were doing. <laughs> they're not wrong. I know they got a good patent on that. Well, oh my thank you guys for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this St. Patrick's today and take it easy on your liver. Yes. <laughs> we really want to hear from you all. Send us your stories of lucky discoveries uh, in your industry or any other ones, even in medicine that you've heard of, and we'll share them in a future episode. And check out the ivydrip.co and all podcast streaming platforms for more episodes. Be sure to subscribe and share. We appreciate your support. Now, for my tip of the day, it has to do with attracting more good luck in your life. It's actually from a quote I heard a long time ago, but it really stuck with me. Mm. It goes like this. Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. I mean, I can't take credit for this, Dion. It's from the famous Roman philosopher Seneca. But I like the idea behind it. Basically, if you stay ready, then you don't have to get ready. And when a little window of opportunity arrives, you just take a chance and good things can just happen. I mean, that's what good luck is. That's so true. Act, believe, and pray for the best. I love it. I love it. 
That's a great way to end. Amen. (laughs) Amen.